The miracle of the mind is such that when we die, the mind is like a mirror into which we are forced to look and see. So all the truth of our lives, of our life, is revealed to us by the purity of our own energy that resides within all of us and connects us. No matter how thinly to the source of that purity. And while we are passing over, quote unquote, we ourselves have to look at what we are and at what we've done. For this, the mind is our best tool. It can also be our weakest link, depending on how we develop it. It's not the true mind that creates illusion and clings and supports unskillful behavior. That's the ego that clouds and obscures the true mind. And at the time of death, the ego doesn't have the power to prevent the true mind from revealing itself. Then we become very fearful and ashamed or joyful and at peace with the way we have lived. So then the forces of karma take over from the ego which is overpowered by the process of death. The mind is seeing clearly, but if we are not established in meditating on purity and understanding truth, we can become frightened by our bad karma or kama our unwise deeds of the past. And if we are dying, this will put us in danger at the time when death consciousness arises. The new demons and dreaded forces will be able to attach to the mind and try to lure us back to unwholesome ways. They will invade the mind after death and drag us towards unfortunate rebirths. That is why it is so important to practice and train the mind to rest in goodness and wholesomeness to establish the mind in what is sacred. This will be for us a place of safety and protection in this hour of our greatest need. What about transforming our negative emotions? 
Look at the weather. The sky is gray. The wind is howling. A lashing rain above the eaves of our small sanctuary. And when the storm abates a little bit, I watch the titanic clouds sailing through the sky. During retreat, the weather outside is just a background, whether it's a winter storm or a fierce rain. But the forest and the isolation and the stillness of the trees grouped together are powerful factors for practice. And I find it incredibly rich. So days can seem like weeks, especially if you're working through a labyrinth of emotional compost. We work it through, we work it through, and then seeing things clearly again, conditions seem to conspire to bring us to the simple truth of the way things are. And also, bringing us to the possibility of what begs to be revealed. I see the tenacity of my resistance to liberating my heart. Do we all do this? I think so. We resist going to our knees. And in the end, that's where we have to go. We have to die to ourself. This self that holds on stubbornly. And we have to die again and again. In retrospect, it feels okay, but while it's happening, we can feel very lost. As long as we deny the things that we fear, we distance ourselves from our very deepest well of courage. We have to be wise and human, as strong as an oak and yet vulnerable. Growth, this growth in the Dhamma hurts, and breaking out of the shell is a struggle. To fly from the nest, we fall down like a bird. And then we learn to feel, to be. I rejoice in knowing that this process is possible.
This is our journey. And we need to fully trust that it will open us to greater and greater wisdom. And in that unfolding, we discover why things fall apart. And a wisdom arises from the ashes. Maybe the bigger the test, the higher we're meant to rise. And so whether we're alone or with a good spiritual friend, we can ascend. Are we the disciples of fear or of love? If we are lost in thinking, we don't know much. But our consciousness will evolve hugely the more we learn to feel. Feeling is healing. And the very beginning of our healing is in this relationship to ourselves. We are disciples of our own experience. And this is the incarnational process of number one, knowing what we feel, knowing our fears and how we cope with them. And then feeling the suffering, the suffering that takes us to the depths where we burn. We burn in this fire of becoming whole, of becoming intimate with that which is sublime. Nisargadatta Maharaj said, as long as we believe that we need things to make us happy, we shall also believe that in their absence we must be miserable. That's why the parmi of renunciation is so powerful. If we renounce, Think about what is there to renounce that will free us. Because we want freedom from suffering. And we want the happiness that goes beyond ownership. So we give up control. We renounce our bad habits of mind. And we empty the rubbish when the rubbish in the mind is gone, there's a space for pure energy to emerge from within. And it will. As long as you keep cultivating the goodness within you, there's nothing to fear. 
This is offering ourselves the opportunity for spiritual growth. But we have to be vigilant. The more time we spend with our bad habits and our careless ways of treating ourselves or others, the more difficult it is to give up those habits. So we have to make a superhuman effort and we have to be compassionate, forgiving and wise and not tolerate the noise of the mind. How do we do that? Literally turn the mind to silence. Turn the mind to metta, to goodwill. Turn the mind to renunciation. So giving up wanting stuff or experiences, vacations, ownership, control, and developing a greater acceptance of conditions just as they are. A forgiveness. First, what do we forgive? Present moment. This breath. Life. We forgive what we can and we work with the deepening of one breath, letting it be fresh and clear in this moment. So whatever comes next will be a blessing, a happiness for everyone. This is a good way to practice it gives us a chance to know fear whenever it arises. It may not go away, but if we're there to know it as fear, then our experience of it will change and we won't be its slave as a result. Because the moment we know it and realize it as nothing, the only thing it is, the only way it has life, is because we're afraid of it. Our suffering is the fear of our fear. And when we know that, then the fear will lose most of its punch. And we will be able to breathe in all the energy that was going into holding a storm in the mind. Luckily, if we endure enough to sit through all this melodrama of the mind, then suddenly that big smoky cloud will just disappear and blow away. And we will see the fabrications of the mind disappear 
we will know they are not real. And we will know and feel that we are the architects of our own suffering. And when we know that, that's a freedom. We can trust that knowledge. There is a quality that will help to carry us through. And it's that selfless love, a sacred thread that weaves us through our old ups and downs, through facing our fear and walking away from the tigers that have made us run all our lives. Why shouldn't we? What a great test. This test will come to all of us. The sooner the better. How we create and recreate the psychological self how we handicap ourselves from freedom. But when wisdom arises, we just know it. So we can feel our pain and fully honor it. But we still can strengthen the old habits. So as long as we can walk away from them and keep growing that beautiful space of selfless love within us. Where else will it be? Only here. We chant it back out of the shadows into the light. So we can probe the origin of suffering and the way of cultivation of not-self as our way of developing wisdom and compassion for ourselves and others. We realize that we can't be selfish and self-preoccupied at the same time as we're practicing generosity of heart. That's what we're doing. We're taking that on fully. And if we take it on fully, it will eventually elevate us and take us to joy and fulfillment. It may be hard for us to think about this, but we can know this. We can know it through contemplation through insight, seeing clearly the path to selflessness and non-suffering for a human being. 